Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it first to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Otherwise, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com, and I can answer. <laughs> I'm bubbling over my words today, and I can try to answer all of your cannabis growing questions. That's all right. We're always happy to have you. And I'm just pulling up the live chat or view all messages right now on YouTube. And I'll hand it over next to Dr. MJ, who we've only got for a little bit today. Hey, guys. Yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I um, I have company over today, so I'm kind of distracted. And I, I looked at the clock and it was like 3.55. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have a show that starts in like five minutes. I better run and do that. So I'm going to stick with you guys for like half an hour, just say hi and, and catch up. And then I'm going to have to dip back out because I have company over today. It's always nice to have uh, people in town or around and uh, hanging out uh, for a long time. Many of us weren't uh, doing as much of that or any of that, depending on where you're at and uh, your tolerance levels and things like that. So good to hear and see. But uh, next up, we got Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. It's Matthew Gates. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I guess we'll we'll talk some some stuff with Dr. Coco pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, very productive right now and um, getting a bunch of videos lined up to be posted on my YouTube channel, Zentinel. So check it out there if you want some help with pests and that sort of a thing. Uh, new research for cannabis pests came out, so I'll be updating you all there. Very good information always and happy to have you back. Next up, we've got the American one. Oops, sorry. My yeah, my muted was muted. Uh, I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens over on the IG. Most of you guys know me. If not, you could uh, check out my IG page and hit me up in the DMs there. And I hope everyone had a great week. I've been having a good week. Some uh, recently good news for myself. Uh, some of the personal issues we've been dealing with with uh, problem neighbors have been. Uh, fortunately dealt with all of the legal ways and they're where they're supposed to be now. So we're not having to deal with them anymore. So that's a very fortunate situation to not live in a, you know, I guess potential crisis every day with somebody who's unchecked mental health crisis. Uh, but that aside, we do have a great question uh, from William. I'm not going to actually give the full name because they didn't say that they, they want to give the name or whatever. There was just a DM. So uh, William is what we'll call this person. Um, hi, Jack. Got a question you can use for the show. Being fairly new to consumption with a low to fair tolerance, why does flour get me higher when vape pens are 90% compared to flour, which is only in the 20%? It's 20 percentage range for THC. And I thought that was an interesting question. And since we haven't like officially called this a Q&A show, and uh, I don't have a topic off the top of my head yet, I thought that would be a good one. The other thing I had on my mind is transplanting because I just did it. But uh, shout out to William for that question. I would start off just my own speculation. Um, there's a guy, Dr. Ethan Russo, who's done some research on this, and he has a fairly widely adopted theory, which is called like the entourage effect, um, sometimes called the synergistic effect of cannabis. And that refers to when you're using flour, there's THC in the 20 to 30% range, but there's also terpenes, flavonoids, minor cannabinoids, and all these other things. Uh, it could even be THCV. It could be CBD. It could be other things within the flour that aren't in a vape pen that get you more high or a different high or a better high or a fuller high. And I think I experienced that as well. Um, a lot of the 
pens with the percentages that high are coming from distillate. So it's pretty much pure THC. And the pure THC ride alone is sort of like a one directional or almost like a bland high. It's like you kind of feel like an up and like something in your head a little bit, maybe a little bit in your body, but it's not as like full entourage effect as a flower would be, which has a lot more things that you're consuming. So you're being affected by a lot more than just the 20% THC. There's other, you know, the other 80% of the stuff that's in there uh, is impacting you. So that would be sort of my take on it, but I'm curious if anybody on the panel wants to jump in on this one first. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of just going to echo what you said, but it, it's um, the, the short answer is, is because this is not just THC that makes you high. It's not just THC. So if you measure just THC and expect to, for that to give you the end all be all on how high you're going to get, you're going to be disappointed. So, um, and it's like what you said, it's, it's the, the mix of all the different cannabinoids and plant compounds. When you think about it, when you have um, flour, when you're smoking flour, that's pretty close to the purest form. I think you're going to find unadulterated at least. Um, as you process these things, put them into pens or put them into vapes and, and like that, things fall away. When I say things, plant compounds, medicinal plant compounds fall away, you lose some to the processing. So I think even when people that are really, they pro usually the progression is you go from flour to then you start doing concentrates. Well, I've talked to people that have moved on to concentrates for a long period of time and then they went back to flour to try it for a minute and they get wrecked still and um i think that's just the same kind of instance of what what's going on with this question too it's just like you're losing something in in the processing so yeah. when you go back to the the unprocessed it's hitting some buttons that haven't been hit for a while so it's hitting your heart i agree i think there's other ways to vape too so i'd look at sort of what you're vaping i don't think sort of the vaping versus the smoking seem to be called out in the question is is part of the answer i don't think that that's really related to it um i, I agree with what you guys have said sort of they're simpler products that have been stripped down to basically just thc but i think doing like a, a dry flower vape is probably my favorite way to do that or just press rosin those are both great options as well and um even with like rosin depending on like flower rosin versus hash rosin a lot of people look down on flower rosin and i see a lot of the concentrate community almost like be like oh that's not even real rosin or it's like not good enough or it's like uh too contaminated uh but i really like flower rosin personally and one thing for certain that i also know that i enjoy is terpenes and i made ice water hash for a long time myself and something that i don't have a freeze dryer so i can't reclaim the terpenes in like a freeze dryer water like some people would go through that process and then reconstitute it and add it back into the hash or something. It's a, a huge extra step. Most people just lose it. Most people, so I've heard people turn it into Kool-Aid, like abolished farms. Uh, I've heard people water it back into their garden to hopefully bring some of those terpenes to the plants or something. But ultimately you're stripping. I mean, water is called the universal solvent. It's one of the most solvent action things on the planet. That's why it's called the universal solvent. It's yeah. a solvent for more things on the planet than most other elements are so it, it's one of those things that uh it's kind of funny that it's always referred to as solventless and it's always kind of looked at as like oh it's so flavorful like ice water hash like i, I love dry sift i love ice water hash i love bho but like I, I do run into some guys that are like oh solventless is the only way and like ice water hash is the most flavorful and i'm like a lot of the time you're missing some of those flavors <laughs> in that most flavor you can have good flavorful ice water hash and i love it don't get me wrong right. don't have the heady people come after me for this but <laughs> uh, i will say that 
I can definitely smell a lot of the uh, stuff that comes out just smelling the water separate from the hash. And uh, you get that and in the flower. Now they're adding terps that aren't even part of the original plant back into stuff, which is a sin to me anyway. But yeah, they I come from other products. Like they're not even from cannabis terps. Right. Like, terps yeah. are like, like lemons. If, if you're lucky, it's from like a lemon, you know, but a lot of the time it's from like uh, petroleum industry and shit. Yeah. And hand yeah, terps exactly. they're calling it. But I, uh, I haven't done a lot of uh, rosin and uh, cartridges, but uh, bubble hash is always great. But yeah, like you were saying, even the bubble hash, gets the, you lose the water, dissolved terpenes, but there's still more flavor than if you just get THC distillate cartridge. At least there's something in the, the, the bubble hash. I really like the bubble hash. But it's fuller I think body than a distillate reason, for sure. Whenever I have tried some of that cartridges and whatnot, I take a hit. I get really high for a minute, and then it's gone quicker than if I smoke a joint, it feels like, too. That's another thing that I've experienced. But it might just be because it takes, you know, uh, five minutes to smoke a joint. So maybe, you know, that added time also adds in. But I don't know. There's something about flour. I like smoking flour, too. I think, I think it's, it's like the same with edibles. There's fats and lipids and other stuff that help it bind with our yeah. system, whether well, you're eating it or, or smoke. I don't know if yeah. smoking it would matter, but maybe some of the other things that are within that thing help it. Just like uh, lecithin, when you make an edible, makes you uptake the THC a little bit more readily or easily. Um, I think that when you're consuming it, maybe with terpenes or with other things that your body, uh, even with tobacco, funny enough, I hate tobacco and I'll never, I always turn down spliffs or blunts. Uh, sorry, people out there that, you know, are into that. But if you smoke tobacco with cannabis, the same exact amount, your THC in your blood is going to be higher than if you just smoke the same amount of cannabis. And they've done this like in studies with like X amount of nanoliters of THC in the blood was found when they smoked a spliff versus when they smoked you know, equivalent amount of marijuana or cannabis or whatever they like, label it in the study. Um, they got less THC in the blood. So something about nicotine is a, has an entourage effect with THC. So there are these weird little, we've talked about other, even medical like warfarin is impacted by THC and like blood thinners yeah. and things like that. And CBD impacts a lot of different medications as well. So um, I would imagine something in the flower is making it have more of a staying power, staying effect. Maybe it's even the effects of the terpenes themselves, they have different effects than just the THC and other things. So you might feel those longer um, than just the distillate that you're getting from a kind of lower end pen. The other thing to Tao's point though, I think when whenever you try something that's new and different like that, if you're not used to it, that, that gets me high, like certainly for the first time or whatever, um, it may not be a very reliable or even enjoyable high after repeated experiences but um definitely like trying some new vape or some new way to smoke or whatever is going to get me high i also experienced it sort of intermittently so i can't say that it's like it can't be the the method necessarily like by itself it's got to be other things too and i think if you're exposing you know like basic tolerance right to, to things works is i think it comes into play here if you're exposed to the same uh, sorts yep. of compounds, then you're going to get more tolerant to those, or it's going to skew more that way, most likely. Maybe not for everyone in the same way, um, but yeah, I also agree that like it's not just the method of consumption, um, because there are products out there who I think are, who I've also experienced what Tao was saying, where it's like, oh, it seems like it doesn't do much, but 
um I'm not big on like carts and things like that as much. I use uh, there's an atomizer that uh, works a lot better, I think, for this sort of a thing rather than a cart with all the carriers and things like that. And of course, there's a lot of we've talked about on the show where you got to be careful where you're sourcing this sort of stuff. But that's true for flour, too. Um, So it always comes back down to that. Right. And I definitely support people who are making uh, the concentrates that don't require a bunch of money and time and investment to, to create them. I think that they're fully valid. <laughs> I got a quick question. Most of those cartridges, they, they don't just have like RSO or, or strictly oil in them. There's some other liquid in them, no or no? Some of them. It depends I mean, it on where you're getting it from. Made, right? like, Most of them are right. made that way. In the regulated market, Another the answer history. is that there's not bullshit. There's no cuts, no filler. There's nothing no. else in it. Oh, okay. No, because they can't legally put a lot of the stuff in there it has to be right, the like, percentages like of THC that it beads. is. And if it's but 90... The yeah, some of those vapes are like VGPG stuff that they use for electronic cigarettes too, right? Those... Yeah, and we don't know if that's good for you. Or whatever it. that they use. I don't even know what VGPG... Propylene glycol and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, there was the whole vitamin E acetate like debacle right before COVID where people were like dying from yes. vaping. And so that never really got fully fleshed out of whether it was the actual vitamin E that was, that was used in the... though that somebody was adding to it. It wasn't, I think that was vape. a problem too. Yeah. It, you can't vaporize an oil like that because it'll vaporize and then just coat the inside of your lungs. And and I thought that that's what was happening there, but it's the temperature be... matters a lot. At yeah, it you, seemed to be something like that dab. was being added. It wasn't sort of the base that the, the was being dissolved into but I know that like e-cigarettes use like VGPG and different blends of that. And I think some of the, the um, I don't know which one sort of. Some dissolved. of the cannabis cards use that. Yeah, yeah, some of the cannabis cards do. Certainly they dissolve like cash oil or something into it. Um, and there's people making this stuff not you know, on the, it looks like it's a official and commercial and all that, but it's not. And like people will just fill them up with whatever. So you like see you that know, that's on any big, real thing. big growers page, they'll be like, look at this wish.com. You could buy the yeah. exact packaging <laughs> of like California jungle boys or cookies or whatever for the flower, for the vapes. And then you see like these illicit market carts with all the same exact yeah. packaging. So it's difficult. Um, I do want to take a second to welcome in uh, our buddy, Brandon Rust. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Sorry I'm late. I got caught up playing Magic Gathering online. Hey, man, it's a good good time. Yeah, I can definitely, um, I grew up on that, so uh, I respect it. And uh, shout out to you for that, and shout out to you for showing up, even if a little bit late. Um, I'll be able to give you guys an update later on when my lights click on in about 45 minutes. It's good stuff. And uh, one of the other things with the whole vaping thing, I think people were getting like popcorn lung or something like that. And I think that goes to like yeah. the temperature and or even the types of oils that are being vaporized where um, it, it causes definite issues. So it's, it's something to be aware of. And I used to take red hot fucking dabs off titanium nails when dabs were first becoming a thing. And I, I definitely regret it. And I would do an advice wiser. Don't take those eight, 900 degree dabs like some people have and still do. <laughs> um, it's a lot safer at a lot lower temperature. Um, it's medicine first and foremost, so you can use it as a adult use recreational, whatever you want to call it. 
thing, but I think doing it safely is imperative. Um, you know, like people use alcohol safely all the time, but if you take a fucking shot while it's on fire, you can still burn your fucking face. <laughs> so it's like, there's a, a time and a place and a way to do things. So we just have to make sure we're doing them responsibly. And something you know, kind of also, we, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I'm also reminded of like how, like in the culinary world, for example, um, like you have a grilled cheese sandwich, right? Uh, sometimes you might even, you, when you're toasting the bread, you might actually let it burn a little bit and have a little bit of that carbon and have a little, you inject a little bit of bitterness, which you would normally think is maybe not an attractive thing. And of course, if you burn the whole thing, that's not great. But I'm kind of just reminded of how like things that are like acrid and bitter or have, this isn't like a support for like a, the who knows what's in them carts or anything like that. I'm just saying that like with regards to like flour versus vape and how people are uh, consuming them and how they taste and feel, um, there might be aspects that are not, uh, that are maybe being underappreciated in that, that aren't the things that we just mentioned, like the active ingredients and entourage effect and, and, uh, and that sort of a thing. Like with flour, for example, like you're smoking a product and there's smoke and there's other things, not like necessarily the same as a cigarette, but like, I think those other factors are also playing a role. Although I wouldn't be able to tell you like with great detail, how or why, but I do think that those are also at play. Um, and that's not a uh, value judgment that one is worse or better than the other, just that they're there, if that makes sense. It's like uh, every product in California legal market has to be sold with warning cancer and reproductive harm, P65 warning.ca.gov. Um, so it is like one of those things, any smoke, whether it's a bonfire, a cigarette, or, you know, to, like cannabis smoke can be cancerous. And, and the problem with that is it just desensitizes us to what things are actually really dangerous, because if you label everything as being dangerous, then like you stop paying attention to the labels. Right. There's gradients. And I think that we can all recognize that tobacco obviously kills 500,000 people every year in the U.S. And that is a very real number. And it is directly linked to cancer and heart diseases. Right. So it's got its fair share of issues. Um, so and I think Absolutely. cannabis hasn't really shown to be anywhere near that harmful there's been multiple studies that look at stuff like that um going back to like the sort I think of a uh, lot of that maybe just in volume too i think people tend i mean even us really good potheads like don't smoke as much as as you know people that smoke a lot of cigarettes like uh, and uh, yeah uh, maybe it's an ounce of tobacco and people smoke like you know good smokers smoke like two three packs of cigarettes a day like Go out there and try to smoke your three ounces of cannabis a day, everybody. That's like, actually a good point. That's actually a really good point. I didn't yeah, think about good luck that with way. that. I know right? a couple guys that smoked swag in like high school, like the shittiest <laughs> shit, and they'd roll up like six blunts a night, you know, and like it was just they'd buy the stuff that was 25 bucks for a fucking ounce and it was seated and they'd fucking break out, you know, fucking. They're still probably not smoking three ounces. A no, day. no, but still, that's <laughs> as close mean... as you can get. I think and that's is, like a real thing. Like smoke. I mean, a pack a day, that's an ounce a day of cigarette of tobacco. Even I mean, that's, that's really high for like, I, I use all day, every day at very large amounts and granted it's more potent shit. So I don't have to use as much of it, but like between my wife and I, it's like maybe, I don't know, half an ounce of flour a week, but we're also taking concentrates and other things like that. But even just like looking at the flour, it's two ounces week? every two weeks or right. roughly like, you know, uh, yeah. One ounce every two weeks 
for each of us. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of that health di disparities, and since we just smoke so much less of it, even if we're combusting cannabis all the time, you know, you're combusting like a 16th of an ounce, maybe on a, a heavy smoking day. Um, and that's like one cigarette. So when you kind of put it into to comparison of how much kind of just the carbon damage that may be done to the lungs, I think there's other things in tobacco that are also. I think it's worth considering with the shitty ass commercial bud going into the market, people like Marlboro getting into the game, people like Big Tobacco getting into the game, whether it's like chasing the fucking sky high THC number and ignoring all the other stuff that actually like makes us get high and feel good. They're going to get like the bud light of cannabis like. I watch uh, a lot of comedy. There's a guy, Shane Gillis. You can fucking sit there and drink Bud Light all night long. Where like, if you see a guy drinking triple IPAs, he might have like a couple of them and they'll both get to the right. same place. They're both going to get drunk. But like one guy takes fucking two or three beers and the other guy takes like 30. And right. I think that the lower potency commercial shitty ass mids are going to push people to that getting closer to smoking like a pack a day of the fucking Marlboro greens that are like the shittiest weed that you can buy but it's so it's affordable it comes pre-rolled in the pack with the cellophane and i just fucking rip it off they actually already have hemp cigarettes like that i tried to help somebody quit smoking cigarettes by switching the over cigarette to companies cigarettes. aren't going to be interested in making it just lower quality but they're going to be interested in is making it more addictive um, that's been their history of sort of making tobacco and cigarettes more addictive, spiking the nicotine numbers. When they took over all the food companies in the 80s and 90s, they started making the food products more addictive and more sort of hyper consumable. Um, so that's been sort of that. And it would be interesting to see what sort of the, the thing that they can make people more hooked on. But that Shittier weed. Over shorter highs healing. make it like cocaine you get a shorter high yeah. it's shittier so you have to buy more of it use it more often then you're hooked on it like these kids that are talking about smoking on that zaza and fucking everybody gets we we're talking about tolerance earlier i think the reason that shit goes out of flavor and then it comes back is we all let's say are on the cookie hype and then it's the you know whatever wedding cake and then it's the oreos or the whatever it is becomes popular and it's hot for a year or two gelatos and whatever it is and then like Blue Dream comes back and people are like, oh, fuck yeah, I love Blue Dream. Or like Northern Lights comes back, like, fuck yeah, like Super Silver Haze. Like, like give it to me. coming back, man. I mean, it's just yeah, trends, fads come and go, as it were. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, well, that and it's more like uh, on top of that, like we're talking about with the um, sort of tolerance. When you start to only have yeah. like one family of drug, which is like the cookie or gelatos, which are all kind of inbred sisters of each other kissing sisters ethos one yep. said i think it's kind of a funny but it, it's true a lot of them are very similar highs a lot of them are very similar terpene profiles mercine dominant uh you know high they THC, test high and that's why they get chased a little bit of caryophyllene and they do test high they look beautiful they might even smell yeah. great but the highs are generally more short-lived and narrow it's like a indica or an indica hybrid you might feel it a little bit in your head but it's like more of a body high it's kind of like kind of relax you but it's not a super long lasting, like potent fucking uh, trippy psychedelic high almost ever. And so when people come across those, they're like, oh, wait, this is really nice and different. And I don't have to smoke it every 45 minutes or something like that. I could smoke it once and be good for two or three hours. And uh, it's nice to have the variety. And I, I do think that people will crave that and demand that. So hopefully we don't ever get to the place where it's like with apples or there's like five varieties or whatever that commercially get selected for and everything else falls to the wayside unless you have like a super dedicated you know, person who's diehard 
who grows their own whatever. Yeah, the more tragic tale there is the bananas, right? Where there's all sorts of wonderful, flavorful, delicious bananas, but they never make it to us because they're hard to transport and hard to grow here and other things. So all those issues, they just sort of give us one kind of banana and be like, here, be happy with this one kind of banana and don't even know that there's all these other beautiful options out there in the world for you. I definitely think see things like that happening in, in you know, big cannabis. Yeah, that's it. I wouldn't be surprised to see bananas eventually fall by the wayside. I think people, I think people are eating a little bit less healthy generally, and like uh, one fruit fucking falling off. Agriculture wouldn't like it, and it goes into a lot of different things. But uh, it's had its scares a couple times because there's basically only like the one or two. I think it's the one main variety. And if there's like a big pest, Matthew could speak to. I think in the past this has actually been. Uh, this is what happened issue. well there's lots of varieties of bananas but there's only a few that are are good for transporting long distances at, at cheap cost so for the last several decades we've been eating what's called the cavendish banana which is one specific variety of banana and it's been wiped out by a, a pathogen um and so there's fewer and fewer cavendish bananas and they're switching over to other varieties but they're looking for bananas that survive transport not that are sort of delicious necessarily that's not the, the yeah goal. like the ice cream banana which at the, yeah like, San Diego, go California, to Hawaii and try growers. some of the local bananas you're in Central America and try some of the the sort of oh local yeah varieties of bananas and plantains um well, there's lots of them but they just don't ship very well that's very yeah that's true and, and apples some, right too some of them well. do though like, like a lot a lot of talk shit about apples like some stuff does make it to market that tastes delicious like um that's the one uh, piece of produce i'm particularly very we have like people do our shopping for like instacart or whatever but like apples is the one thing i'll actually go to the fucking store and pick out by hand myself out of all the produce that's the one that for me i need to actually select it and even at like particular stores like one store might have better than another or like organic versus conventional some people think it doesn't make that much of a difference i can tell you with granny smith apples i was talking shit on them a few weeks ago how they didn't taste like mm -hmm. they did when i was a kid maybe my palate changed or whatever and it's because i was eating the shitty ass conventional ones i got an organic one that was like full term the bigger organic ones because my wife tried to you know do a nice i've seen those big ones bought me the little ones another organic one the little ones were fucking terrible and bitter they tasted green and vegetal like if you pick weed too early that was like these small sometimes uh, they're grainy sometimes yeah, they're like really grainy too the large or organic granny smith tasted like when i was a kid it made me fucking pucker i was like holy shit this is what yeah. a granny smith apple is supposed to fucking taste like thank goodness somebody's actually growing them and they don't look as nice because they don't have all the pesticides and stuff like that so there's little brown spots on the top things like a that, lot but of it, that yeah a lot of that's just gonna be whether it was picked ripe or picked before it was ripe and if you yeah. can buy it from a local farm where they don't have to ship it across the country to get it to you then they can usually pick it ripe and it's so much better than when they pick it three weeks before they're ripe and pack it into a box and ship it across the country and it kind of like ripens gradually it finishes all the sweetening process like in a box in some storeroom or on a truck or something pumps it's full just, of ethylene it, yeah yeah and on top Absolutely. of that the so farmer... finding local fruit i think is that is one of the keys there i mean organic and, and conventional also i'm not sort of dismissing that but a huge issue is just is it a local farm and did they pick it right i agree i agree I it's very like, uh, farmers fortunate. don't have the ability to like uh i mean to negotiate right like if you don't buy it within a certain window, it gets rotten and dies, you know, so you can't, there's this like inherent disadvantage yeah. uh, uh, to that. And also, you know, you have to get bigger in a lot of cases to compete, which is a nightmare. And I don't always support that sort of uh, mentality because for obvious reasons, right?
Yeah, yeah was, but yeah, I don't think that just because it's conventionally grown doesn't mean that it's bad. I totally agree with you. Well, and you can you can definitely get conventionally grown stuff that tastes amazing. In this case, the Granny yeah. Smith apple was just one that very clearly to my palate was like, holy shit, it was night yeah. and day difference. And I do agree with Doc, like local fruit where I'm at in Southern California, a lot of the stuff is grown locally. And like when I go to a certain grocery store, it says XYZ Fruit Growers Association. They are the ones who sell the pumpkins this year at Halloween. Yeah. They also sell the apples. And I can also go to the farmer's markets that are down my street, like multiple within my local area. And, um, exactly. Not and that's why that stuff that really tastes better. It's local farms. It was picked like a day or two ago. Oftentimes in the produce market, you're working with distributors who have rules about, you know, we need your products to be good for three weeks in transport. And farmers just have to pick it early enough that it's still going to be good for the next three weeks and, and survive that transport part. And the farmers will get hit with penalties if the fruit spoils in, in transit. So there's sort of the way our, our food distribution network set up. There's an incentive to eat crappy food because they all want to get it to market before it starts to spoil. I worry that with big commercial cannabis that might become the same ultimate thing cannabis with... is pretty shelf stable in a way that some of these other crops aren't um but yeah oh, there, we're seeing irradiation parallels. of commercial cannabis that we're not seeing in like the craft markets typically uh, in canada and the u.s we're seeing a lot of stuff get irradiated to pass testing and um although it's effective i think that it's not what a lot of people kind of grew up with and we're used to consuming and, and didn't have many issues with, especially if they're not one of those people that is a vulnerable, uh, you know, pre-existing condition type thing. So, um, and, and granted, I do hope that for those people out there that are like that, that they have access to safe medicine, because I think access to good clean cannabis is uh, something that is going to make the world a better place at large. So I just hope we continue to see that get pushed forward. But um, at the same time, I do worry with the uh, big corporate hands that can go awry, like whether it's an apple farm or a cannabis farm, if you scale too much and you are focused just on the bottom line and not the uh, consumer uh, and the quality of the product. It's like a lot of these things, it's like, oh, the first generation farmer was like a guy who fucking loved it, right? He just got into it because he's passionate. And then he scaled his farm a little. He bought the next farm next to him and then he scaled it. Then he dies and then his son takes it over and maybe doesn't give a shit or maybe they do give a shit. But they're like, oh, there's this new technology. I'm going to use this uh, drones to pick my apples. Like I was seeing these videos, you know, the, the other day. That's a thing now, right? And it's like, is it going to affect the quality? Probably not. But maybe other things that uh, go into that will. So uh, and I'm not anti-technology either. I, I think that like the parabug dropping fucking predator mites instead of spraying pesticides because they have a drone that can fly over and, and selectively target the areas that are being damaged the most is amazing. So I think that it's- I uh, mean, I'm anti, I'm anti people breaking their backs in like 106 degree weather I being paid basically nothing. But those That's are farm workers. Anti. So I, I'm, I mean, there's, Jack's kind of thinking about farmers. Unless they're like paid appropriately Right. An owner operator that's controlling their own production and they may hire people to help them when they need extra work or whatever. But that's fundamentally sort of not the way that agriculture in California works at all, which is owners that no. hire the, you know, contract laborers that come in and the people that are actually doing the quote unquote farming are not farmers, they're farm workers. They are getting paid less than minimum wage. And I mean, that's, that, that's a distinction. It's a big, it's a big distinction. Yeah. Between being sort of an owner operator, we think of ourselves as like owning a plot of land and like growing your own crop on it. So that, and, and when we move past that kind of scale and in cannabis, this happens a lot. There's a lot of sort of 
we'd call them like mom and pop shops, right? Which are sort of mid-sized uh, owner operator um, facilities where the owner of the facility shows up and works there every day. And yeah, there's like a crew of six, 10 other people, whatever, but like the owner of the facility is there every day. There's a, a, a big difference between a farm, the cannabis farm that runs like that and these sort of larger cap companies that, you know, are owned by venture capital or, or investors and are run by managers that are hired to run it. Um, we, we don't think about those relationships oftentimes because of the way that our economy is set up, but it makes a big difference in farming in particular. Um, and sort of around the world, there's a, one of the huge differences in, in looking and analyzing farm systems are, are these actual sort of owner operators or are these just farm laborers and somebody else is sort of owning and, and dictating sort of how things happen on that land? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, yeah, like you say, that's not how a lot of uh, places are are growing. When I was in China, it's the same sort of, well, it's not that sort of thing. A lot of people are actually like you experience, like the, the, the peasant farmer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, they and, control and, their own land. They have to decide. Well, they don't really, well, there's a lot to of. to plant uh, or how much to plant or, or you know, when to do well, specific things. No, there's some there's a lot of government interference. There, yes, so. yes. But it's indeed. a different kind of thing. It's different. But they're still I might tell you managing their own farms as opposed to just working on somebody else's farm, just taking orders from somebody else. Very true. But uh, yeah, the less of that is better. But you're right. That's not necessarily the farmers that we think of, is it? That's a good point to make. Yeah, well, the, the people you were thinking about that sort of, you know, doing the the dangerous, difficult, horrible jobs in agriculture, when we think about them, especially in California, those are all, you know, migrant farm workers, they're not the owners of those facilities. And we have a whole sort of agricultural production facility that, you know, the, the average size of the farms are huge, much bigger than other parts of the country. Um, and they're basically tended by large groups of, of farm workers that move around the state to sort of follow the harvests and follow the plantings. Um, it happens in cannabis now too. They're trimmer yeah, grains is what it used to be Totally called different them. classes of people where you have the owners like sort of up here, like the, the political donor class and you have the workers that are literally sort of the, the poorest people in our society. Um, that's really different than a lot of other farming systems where farmers are still pretty poor, but sort of they have a, a different kind of, of economic power because they control their own farm. The shit of it is like they couldn't afford to employ these people all year because it's like a very seasonal amount of labor that comes in, whether you're like at Mitten Canico coming down to harvest a fucking several thousand plants or, uh, you know, people picking blueberries or something out there or the wine grapes. Like there's only a certain high times of those seasons. And, um, it, it takes a lot more labor in those times. And um, I know in, in cannabis, Spartan and Michigan, we had, you guys had like the lovely ladies who trim, I think is a group out there. And um, so it seems like that's one way of approaching something like that. Um, there's, a bunch of trim, labor. there's a bunch of, honestly, trimming is probably one of the most common trimming packaging, some of the most common um, outsourced jobs that you'll see in the industry that i've seen in the industry and yeah, yeah at mincanico i saw several of the trim crew sometimes two at the same time it's funny that it's almost deemed like low-skilled labor but a lot of us 
would deem that like one of the most important parts of the job. You're handling that's the quality control at the no, final it's, checkpoint. It's what it is, is it's a job that's hard. To, it's got high turnaround. It's hard to keep people in those jobs because it's not a great job to do 24, you know, all day. Yeah, well, and it's also day. not generally very well paid, but yeah, and it's not I, paid well. So I it's agree. like to get a, if you get a good trim team together, you, you'll, you'll succeed well. And so I'm kind of reminded of, especially, oh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, that's a, that was, they basically just specialize say. that job. So, so like the cultivation manager isn't trying to manage a trim crew too. Right. If you yeah. make it like not a terrible interaction, like I agree, I'm reminded of like In-N-Out Burger, you know, like uh, very, very famously uh, studied by like businesses. And when I went to some business classes, that was a, a point that they made that like, you know, a lot of times at these burger joints and things, they, they, there's like a, everyone has like a feeling of what it is to be like somebody who works there. And it's, that is a kind of low status, but if you don't treat your people like garbage, you know, and uh, pay them uh, better and you, and all these other sorts of things, they're kind of basic. I would have to say for the pay empathy. is huge. Just that alone. If you just like increase yes, the pay, exactly. like people's but also like level not having of them willingness feel like they're to work lower class people. I think that's well, that's the point I wanted to articulate here. In a competitive because market, you can't just oftentimes that. decide to pay people more, though, because if your competition True. isn't also paying them more, then your competition is going to be able to undersell you and you're going to go out of business. So there's a lot of, you know, oftentimes in a, in a perfect market, I don't think the market is anywhere near perfect, but in a perfect market, the idea that there's a lot of turnover with trimmers would suggest that there's not enough incentive to sort of pay them more to keep them longer. It's low enough skill that it's, it's worth it. Just pay them lower, burn them out and, and replace them, train new people when they get replaced as opposed to paying them more. You know, I don't know. I don't know enough about the trimming market or there'd be some employer out there that was paying people more, keeping them happy and sort of actually doing better as a result of that like trimming faster or, or more efficiently or something along those lines i'll um, say just as a counterpoint um if you can take advantage of like marketing something like we have a team and this is joe our trimmer who's been here for five years and we're a company who keeps people around instead of running our people into the ground like X, Y, or Z cannabis company here at you know abc company we believe in treating our people right and you're going to pay five extra bucks on that eighth, but it's because Joe is the one who's been trimming it and he trims it perfectly every single time. And you do stuff like that to build your brand. Uh, it's difficult. Obviously people want to pay lower amounts on their products and not everybody's going to buy into it. And, and it's, you have to actually have like the knowledge and, and the ability to tap into each market is different, different yeah. shit connects with different people. So it really might just be worth it to, you know, try and grind the people out or whatever. But I think a lot of the times when, uh, people do that and, and take care of their team, uh, build a good brand. They're more likely to be able to get a little bit extra and then stick around. And uh, it's just one of the tools. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a perfect yeah. thing because obviously I have seen like I, there was a greenhouse down here um, that my wife's company or that she used to work with was in collaboration with like purchasing from. And the guy just said there was no two ways about it. They weren't paying more for hand trimmed buds per pound. So he moved to machine trimming at a certain point because month after month, he did both. He side by side, pound versus pound, same strain, 
half of it would go to ham trim, half of it would go to machine trim, and then he would go and try and market it and sell it. And he couldn't get the higher dollar amount for the hand trim button. Exactly. So it forced his hand. Like there was no way to justify the triple labor cost of a hand trim team versus a machine trim squad. So it's a sad reality in some situations when it comes down to the dollars and cents of it all. And that's why it's a reminder on the Cheap Home Grow podcast to grow your fucking own. As always, because uh, you're going to, you know, trim it yourself and take care of it and do all the things right. Take it all the way to harvest and not cut it down early, not have to worry about it being shipped around and stored on shelves for a year or a month or however long or going through the uh, different testing processes, uh, things like that. Yeah. Not that those are bad. I think that that's probably the best part of the commercial process that's actually come out of all of this is the safety regulations, which I think are fine, maybe a little bit overdone at times. But I think that they do offer people peace of mind and, and legitimate safety in a world where so many industries don't like our food industry and, you know, other industries that fuck people over all the time. And unfortunately, like there's recalls and things happen. But yeah, people get sick all the time from food and other stuff that's much less regulated than cannabis. So. So this this trimming thing, I just keep thinking about this. It, it, it's one of these interesting labor problems in sort of economic theory. It's what we call, well, it's often, I think, approached as a simultaneous labor demand, which, which means you have a lot of work that needs to be done in a pretty short period of time or requires lots of different people doing different parts of it. This wouldn't be lots of different people doing different parts of it. This would just be, you know, we got to get this trimming done and we're going to bring in a crew and do it in a day. Um, if you can change the technology or change your infrastructure and your facility, and I've talked to facilities about doing this, so you don't have to do trimming as a simultaneous event, like when it's dry, it needs to be trimmed, then, um, can you hold it in like a cure room in some place where workers can get to it when they have time, um, as opposed to having to bring in, you know, all sit down and do this for 12 hours or whatever, um, if you can sort of set up to, to be able to organize that, then it can go from being sort of a simultaneous labor demand where you got to bring in all these people to work at it at one time to just sort of sucking up surplus labor. In a lot of uh, cannabis facilities, the thing that sucks up surplus labor is cleaning. So like if you don't have anything to specifically do, you can go and clean. You could also like go and trim. Um, so there's different ways to sort of approach that. The amount of cleaning that's done is very underestimated. I think Spartans mentioned that many times in the past. It's like you're a part-time custodian at the grow shop, like, you know, especially indoor or outdoor, wherever, really, if you're trying to keep it clean. To be honest with you, I was biting my lip that whole time because I was thinking, no, fuck that. Why are you taking away from clean time? <laughs> we can't do that. Well, you're not, not taking away their income. You're just, I, what you're actually doing is, is democratizing the process. So Spartan, everybody on the crew has to trim sometimes. Um, you know, you spend maybe five we to 10 hours a week and you share, you know, you rotate through. So this is the model where everybody gets to do a little bit of everybody's job and kind of become, you know, more expert on it. It's, it's the opposite of specialization in these smaller crew facilities. And I know you've worked in a facility like that, right? So yeah, yeah just keep that weed someplace. So when you have an ex- a few extra hours or whatever, and there's not a lot doing that day, you go and you trim for a few hours. But then Billy that. Bob fucks it up. And then like Sally is fucking slaying it, you know, <laughs> fucking. Well, you just have dudes. competent people, right? That's probably more fundamental. It's like what, co- what our it's hard says to have right a here, whole crew of competent then, people, especially then. when it's like part time. <laughs> and it's like, OK, you can get to it when you get to it, when there's it really not is. cleaning to be done, because there's always cleaning to be done, like Spartan saying, and then, like, gr- it gets put <laughs> off. 
I'm a fan of specialization to an extent, as long as you're not, uh, you know, abusing labor. Like one of the things, there was a documentary years ago that came out. Uh, I think it was called Murder Mountain, and it discussed some of the issues in Humboldt, where there's a lot of fucking missing people, and a lot of it is related to trim labor and and just grow labor. Saying, oh, we'll hire you for the season, and then fucking people end up missing. Like that's that's a fucking problem. And uh, it wasn't just Humboldt. Obviously, there's all over the world that happens with fucking crime but it's a uh, one of those things where we need to be responsible and open and, and reasonable about the fact that there are labor costs especially when you start to scale it grows and uh you know being straightforward and honest with people i'm curious if brandon has any thoughts on this because you've been working on the commercial side on the regulated and more recently but uh in the open market for many years as well so i'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on the whole labor discussion you're muted you're still muted brandon you're muted uh, back in the traditional market it was um you know usually your friends friends girlfriends coming over and helping you tramp and you know you you take them down cash and you know throw them a little bit of weed but it wasn't consistent you know it's just like when you had a harvest if you're a larger company and you're you know, have a consistent, uh, you know, like flow of cannabis that's uninterrupted. So you have the capacity to keep a whole entire team busy, then uh, you might do that. And they would, you know, that team would figure out a way to expedite the process and maximize the efficiencies of the, of that uh, process. Um, however, what I've often seen is that smaller facilities will usually outsource to trim crews and what their job is to, you know, they'll pick up work at one facility for a week and then they'll go to another facility. Uh, I know that, I know a bunch of people that do that. They have little teams where they'll go with a little team of three or four or five people. And then there's also situations where people are cross-trained. They might come on as trimmers, uh, but they're also then cross-trained to do things like defoliation and do things like harvest and do things like transplant. And so what you can do is whenever you have a labor and because most gardens for the most part can be automated and can be run pretty uh, easily with a single person, but there are those times during, especially commercial cultivation, transplant, defoliations, uh, harvests, and then cloning. Right. Those are all labor intensive parts of the grow that you can you might need a team to do. And so one second, uh, I just want to let Doc get his final thoughts and shout outs because he stayed an extra 17 minutes from what he promised us at the top. So thank you, Doc, for staying in. Uh, Absolutely. I was enjoying Brandon and, and I'll, I'll keep listening to you, Brandon, after I sign off. But I should get running. I do have some house guests over here. So grower love, everyone. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'll definitely look forward to being on to, or, uh, next week. I'm doing a thing tomorrow. I have a premiere of a Grow Life video. And then I'm going to invite everybody that comes to the premiere to the Ask Dr. Coco show tomorrow night. Um, so check that out. That's 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel. Um, girl love, everyone. I'm glad I was able to, to stop by. Have a wonderful rest of your show. Thank you, Doc. Girl love, Dr. Coco. Thanks for stopping sure that. Before I pass it back to Brandon, there's a note from the chat with Buddy Kilowatt that is very true. And I see it all too often, not just in California, but all over the US. He said a lot of the Asian cartels are using human trafficking for labor in their grows. And these people are literally like slaves 
forced to live with these plants and, and grow them against their will. It's uh, sad a lot of the time you see these raids and it's like, oh, what a what an excuse. But then you see like the conditions. These people are stolen away from their families and sometimes held at gunpoint and it's fucked up. But uh, I'm going to pass back to you, Brandon, and you could continue to give excellent advice and, and thoughts on the uh, labor and both the traditional and now uh, regulated markets. Cross-training that crew of people so that way you can use kind of the same people over and over and not just say, hey, look, if you guys are interested in work, we have, you know, part-time work and these are the times that we're going to need it. You know, when we do transplant, we're going to need a crew to come in here, help us knock this all out. When we're doing defoliations, we'll need a crew to come, a crew to come in here, knock this all out. And so you basically, um, you, you know, you can do it that way as well. I think the biggest thing is trying to have a whole entire team um, and then keep them busy, you know, if you're not constantly harvesting and, you know what I mean? So that's why I say outsourcing that labor is oftentimes what smaller places will do, or it'll just be a small crew and they'll just try to bang it out themselves. You know what I mean? They'll do it. You know, like I said, they'll, uh, they'll streamline the, the harvesting process and the trimming and everything like that maybe they'll do some like you know not, maybe not fully tumble but do like a hybrid process where they'll go in maybe tumble some of the leaf off and they'll go and clean everything up by hand with crows all the crows feet and this and that you know so i mean like uh instead of like hand trimmed it's like uh hand trimmed finished yeah hand finished no that's that's hand- honestly saving hours to get just that first bunch of leaf off and then go finish it up that'll save a harvest team a ton of fucking time too they have like the little cryo ones which are just a little tumbler and what it does is it kind of freezes those outer leaves you know it makes it like cold and kind of freezes it and so they just kind of crumble away and it just leaves you with maybe like a little crow feet sticking out you can take like a can of brush or something like that and just knock those off to finish them there's all different ways, dude. It just depends on people's budget, the size operation they're running. You know, it's, you got to be uh, kind of creative even on the, uh, uh, on the uh, commercial side, you know, when it comes to trying to maximize your efficiencies. I think especially on the commercial side, the more you scale, I mean, unless you're like, you don't want to like micromanage, right? You don't want to have somebody like sitting right over top of somebody's shoulder. Uh, the whole entire time you want to have a, a crew that you can trust ideally but yeah. finding little yeah. tips and tricks like that to like the trim bags or whatever um i've mentioned this in the past but like smiley has mentioned had patients that actually requested when he started hand trimming to go back to the old way like I, I liked it the other way which was the trim bag which is being tossed and tumbled essentially um they just liked how it looked and it was just you know user preference so it really does depend on your market do they even care what the trim some people like the little leaves it it shows more of the character of the bud like each uh strain almost all looks the same when it becomes tumbled into like a marble it's frosty or whatever but it, they're all just like little buds or whatever but when you have a homegrown harvest you can almost have like somebody who has like a whole branch in a jar and there's like not just the top bud they like haven't broken it down yet so like there's like the top bud and then there's like little buds and you can like peel them away and you can see there's still like leaves and it's not perfectly trimmed, but you could see the character of the plant and you're like, wow, this, you could get an idea of what it looked like when it was alive versus, uh, 
a lot of the stuff that comes in a eighth bag or jar or whatever now, it's uh, broken down into little nuglets almost that are so almost foreign from the actual flower that's growing on the plant. I know I hate that. I hate it seeing bud that looks like it's been massacred by scissors, you know, when it's like they cut it so close and it's like they're cutting off all of the the stigma, they're cutting off like all of the trichomes and it's yeah, no like, hairs left. The trikes oh, are ruptured. They're like I know literally that love the weed when it's all super tight in a pack like that. And it's like, man, I like to see the curves of the weed and shit, man. Yeah. Like Yeah, because to me it looks fake. It's like once you once you start rounding off every single fucking corner that looks like a fake ass nug to me now i don't know what the hell you rolled that in to make it look like that you know i just and i know it's probably just rolled through a machine and that's it but to me it's like i don't know traditional market you know makes me not trust it not only is it rolled through a machine then they put them onto these sorters it's like a, a little like lines like this so your a buds will fall through only like the uh the biggest one right and like the small buds fall through the tiny little ones like it gets it's gradually like more uh wide as it goes so like just the tiny little buds that they sell as like smalls that falls in the first batch and then you get like your middle middle size nugs and then you get like your big buds all the way at the end but they're all just really rounded and those machines some of them like the twister the original like those old school one it literally goes through a fucking pipe of a bunch of blades and it spins it until it fucking cuts a bunch of the leaf off I've seen before and afters. I knew a dude who had one of those things. It fucking keeps the shit out of your butt, man. Like that is like a, if it went in at like 30%, you're probably coming out at like 21. Like they fucking ruin your butt, in my opinion. That that particular product. Sorry, fucking, we're never going to be sponsored by them and I never expect to. But uh, yeah, that, that, that particular device is awful. And like the bowl trimmer is fucking just cranking it across metal. Like anyway, so somebody else was talking Blows about it. my mind that I saw. Uh, who was it? The the people with the awesome fans that are real quiet. They came out with a bull trimmer like recently. AC Infinity. Yeah, AC Infinity. I'm like, why are we throwing back to the bull? Have, have we not got better than that? What are we doing? People swear by it, dude. I, I'm like, oh gosh. I guess you can scoop some of the trikes out of those bowls after you're done. Uh, well, it's like it's not a new butt. thing. That's an ancient invention that they brought back. Is what that is. Dude, they still sell the pollinators online. Pollinator.nl. They used to think that trichomes were pollen. Fucking dry sifting pollen is what they thought it was. Pollen coming yes, out of the fucking plant. Yes, that's true. I remember that. I knew. I definitely knew people who called it the pollen or whatever. I still like, see it on from time to time, usually from foreign individuals. They'll be like, oh, no, I they collected did so that much so pollen. That they wouldn't get in trouble with the law, Jack. You think so? I was the one who's uh, associated uh, with it, but I'm saying that there are people out there. Somebody <laughs> said it to me the other day from fucking Canada. They were calling it the pollen. And I'm like, dude, you guys have legal shit and you're still calling it pollen? I'm like, that's not everyone home, so. is botanically inclined. This but yeah, good. you're right. I'm sure there are some people who might have said that as well. But think about the use case for that kind of um, like feigned ignorance, right? Well, for a while, who would know the difference? Yeah, it was a well, loophole. You for collect a while. pollen with the pollinator and the pollen boxes too. So yeah, you, you can. know, I've done that. Yeah. Any, any dry sift, like even your trim bin, is a good way to collect pollen. If you uh, don't have any That's other true. methods, dry it out real good. Uh, yeah, and fucking run it over those screens. Make sure you put down some parchment paper because then you don't want your pollen mixing with your trikes in there. That'd be a uh, messy, but. 
Oh, do you guys want to talk about maybe we could save it for save it for the next weekend? Uh, maybe just briefly the concept. I sent a research report to everyone, and I don't expect anyone to really read it themselves. But I summarized it that basically they found that olive oil, uh, I believe, it was olive oil that was like the best for like um, like a oral oral cannabinoid or was it CBD in particular? For consumption, like we were yeah. talking about earlier, like the percentage uptake essentially of the different yeah. oils, yes, so yeah. the effectiveness of the different ones. I think maybe we'll save that for next week. Cause I like doing the science stuff on like a science specific week. And we do have another question that Tao typed in the chat a little bit before that, but I don't want to leave them hanging. They asked specifically Spartan grown, what causes uh, a plant to grow one finger leaves? Yeah. I answered him in chat and I said, it's usually a big stressor. Like, like revenge is the classic one that will do that. Um, and they had replied in chat that uh, he just did some high stress training, so it might have, it's probably that's what triggered it. It's usually some kind it of big all kinds of mind. things, but I agree with that general statement. Something causing uh, stress for sure. I would, I would say yeah. Plants not happy whenever even three finger leaves scares the shit out of me. If it's like a five finger plus plant and it starts going back to three, I'm like, what the sh- what the fuck happened? I think like, it can also be genetic too sometimes. People well, say that OGs like or like ruderalis have the three finger leaf more often sometimes. So, but I feel like for an adult mature cannabis plant, if it's throwing three fingers after throwing like these, yeah, like if, it, if it was while, fine and then it changed, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, something went south here. Let's figure it out. Something happened. Yes. What do you think there, Brandon, with the one finger, three finger? To his take too, yeah. Oh, you know, I, I think it's probably hormonal, stress-related hormone-induced uh, kind of plant morphology. Because I see it all the time, but it's always on, like, the revenge. It's always on some type of stress when it's going into, like, flowering. So I, I strongly think that it, it has it's, it's stress-related, related, but I also think it has something to do with so something hormonal in the plant like or something like that that would be my guess i don't have well, stress can that. cause a hormonal shift for sure like oxins um, and so gibberellins right with like, training yeah that's why we train with some high stress training is like to redirect the plant growth away from the branch that you're stressing you're bending the shit out of it to send the growth to the other parts of the plant it could be nutritional too you know it could be like i know that you need you know a good amount of carbon for structures and nitrogen for proteins so it could be i don't know it could be like it could be something related to nutrition where the plant's not able to like build all of its parts properly or something you know i think carbon yeah, but is then a- you know but then to, to to fully develop a leaflet but not the other ones seems weird like i would feel like I wonder I feel like it'd be a pretty significant thing. I, you, know, you know what? Because, you know, it's something that I've experienced my whole growing career, but I've never really put too much thought into, like, the actual cause of it. You know, I know, like, obviously stress, like we just mentioned, but, like, what is it? Like, I wonder what's actually happening from, like, a metabolism or biochemistry standpoint internally. I don't you just know. mentioned with flip, flip, flipping to flower. That's a not only like a a stress but just it's a changing life cycle thing and it comes with a lot of hormone changes and i think like new growth 
it would make sense that you're going to see a lower number of leaves, just like when it's vegging early, it has a lower number of leaflets in the early stage of the seedling, or even like with a freshly cut clone. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while for the uh, branches that start growing off of it. They start with like uh, less mature and then it eventually, as it gets older, grows more and more uh, fan leaves. Like Minnesota grower, I think said had one that went from like one to three to five to nine on 11 now, and they just keep going up. So uh, it definitely, I think takes time. And uh, with those hormone transitions, there's obviously stress, but I think uh, it might be part of like the genetic expression. Like I, I've seen it so often with OGs and I've even like read in descriptions that it's like a trait of OGs. So I think that there might be some link with OG genetics in that. And then I've also seen, I mean, like autoflowers or ruderalis has like their literal symbol instead of like looking like this leaf next to my head. It's got like the little three finger leaf as the plant like symbol when they show like indica sativa, like ruderalis, like it's like a three leaf thing. So I would wonder if it's like a autoflowering side of things like that too, or early flowering or uh, a whole lot of different things could be going into it. So I don't put too much thought into it because uh, usually it turns around if you get your plants happy and healthy or just let the process continue to move forward. If it stays like that for a while, it'd be something to document and uh, maybe address like if it didn't stop, Brandon, in your first few weeks, what would you do? Would you just like, obviously you're testing your soil. Uh, would that be something that you would look to or maybe some other outside factor like CO2? You were saying carbon. What if the CO2 levels are like too low or something like that? It doesn't have enough carbon to, you know, produce the uh, necessary. Some type of metabolism thing where it's not building enough protein. I don't know. I mean... I've always just tried to, I mean, I've had plants that did, that didn't heal up, but flowered out just fine with, you know, spindly ass little three leafers and one leafers on the whole plant, you know what I mean? And they had perfectly fine production, everything smoked fine. And there was nothing wrong physically with the, the weed, but the plant just looked funky. And it's like, you know, and I have maybe a sister right next to it. That's just fine. You know, so there's been scenarios that I've experienced where, you know, I don't know. I feel like because in other plants, um, like uh, there's a lot of examples. Come on, let me think of one. Watermelon, I guess. Uh, and I suppose also this might be true for grape and a bunch of others, really. Um, but like, you know, there are uh, sometimes um, it's like on a spectrum, like the leaflet counter. Or how, you know, um, like with watermelons, for example, and other squash uh, type like leaves where like sometimes it's more uh, elongated and there's like curves that are more pronounced and then and others, they're, they're less. So I wonder if it could in a lot of cases be like uh, an intermittent genetic, like not, not knockout, but like a loss of some kind. Or at least the expression of it, perhaps, which might explain why uh, it could be weirdly intermittent sometimes because maybe something like a pathogen or some of the things that we've talked about here on the panel or a confluence of them uh, could maybe cause a pretty significant change. I yeah, have a, I think I, at least some of the time, I think that's genetic, like in a not in, a, not in like a. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. In a mutational way or in like, but like in the genotype, All right, you know what I mean? How it's like, expressed. Uh, like, 
Exactly. But maybe that too sometimes. And something I just thought about as I recently transplanted two of Spartan Grown's uh, Project V, the Vortex F2s, originally from Subcool, uh, F2'd by Spartan Grown. I picked my two favorite ladies out of the eight that I had. And um, one of them I transplanted and it was like picture perfect transplant. If I could do a video and it was a demonstration, I'd be like, this is the perfect transplant. It's fucking, you know, everything. That's great. But the other one, I lost like the bottom 10% of the root ball. So when it popped out of that cup, you know, 90% was there. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the perfect transplant. So they're growing side by side. They looked like almost identical. That's part of the reason I picked them. They're about the same height, very similar leaf structure. The only thing that was really different is one of them is way frostier already. And even in the solo cup, it's already fucking frosty and sticky. Uh, it smells like clay and like some weird uh, like gas. Three leafer. And then the other one is uh, it smells like mango and like baby farts already. So I'm like, oh, that thing is reeking in veg. And like, that's one of the smells it's supposed to smell like. So I'm like, I'm picking that one for sure. Uh, but yeah. They both got transplanted, and I would guess if one of them was to have one or three leafers, it'd be that one that lost the bottom 10% of the root ball. So I will keep you all posted if that does happen. But I've seen shit like that happen where it's like, well, they're all the same strain, but like this one's killing it, and this one's like doing all right. It's like, well, did they all get transplanted perfectly? Because I know how that is. I've been there. I've fucking <laughs> taken one plant out, and it goes great, and you're fucking on top of the world. You're like going to the next one. You're like, I got this shit. Boom. And you're just maybe rushing it, or maybe the soil was a little bit drier because it was a bigger plant or something, and it Maybe it just wasn't watered as, as evenly. Uh, transplants are weird, man, especially out of small cups going into a thing. So it's like I always, with the timing of that, try to get it as perfect as I can, but sometimes let it go a little too long and it's a little drier than I was expecting. So uh, yeah, live and learn, keep growing. But yeah, transplanting can be a, a bitch sometimes. And that can also lead to why two plants of the same strain or even same cut, one produces and looks perfectly normal and the one right next to it is uh, slightly odd looking. So that's uh, part of my speculation there. But uh, Brandon, what do you think about that? Do you, do you think that the transplants, like if uh, you had a bed and you transplanted 10 plants in there or, or five plants in there, you know, four of them went perfect, but one of them kind of got fucked up on the way in? Oh, I don't know. I think that they would probably all do well. I think that if you transplanted them, bigger media, more nutrient access, I think that that they would snap out of it, you know, because that's typically what I see is that they'll usually grow out of it given enough time and proper nutrition. But again, I've never, I've never really explored it. I haven't gone deep into it because it's never, it's always just kind of been an afterthought, you know, and it's only just been an afterthought really simply because even when there's been scenarios where I've seen it, I haven't had anything really be wrong with the weed itself yeah it's like why question if uh don't fix what <laughs> ain't broken right yeah yeah i don't try i got uh so I, you know you have so many things to be worrying about when you're when we're talking about cultivation and so uh adding problems that may not really be an issue I don't want to do it. No, that's a, that's a great, great option. Like sometimes we overthink things and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you've been crushing it for a while. Fucking if, if the products taste good, they smoke good, smells good. It's fucking selling. It's doing what it's supposed to. Then you guys, you guys want to see what I put together right here? Of course. Okay. So I did. Got the grow room all up. I got to hang some wires and stuff, but 
I uh, painted everything, the whole room, right? I got my little seat over there where I'm chilling right now. <laughs> nice. I got my two uh, post lights. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Two post lights. Um, these I transplanted in here before I got the bed, but I got the bed and I got everything all, all watered already. And then I put crop cover under there. I put some rice holes down just as a mulch layer. It's a three by three. I put eight casters on the bottom of the plastic pallet. Um, and then this is a 640 watt uh, fixture. It's got direction, directional lens, lensing technology on it. And then you can also swivel these two. So if you want to like move it and then I can also change the spectrum of the light. Right now I got this one turned on because I have some stuff that I just been holding on to. And uh, they were kind of, they were in cups while I was doing all the build out and I got them into some, just something, some soil I just threw together real quick. And uh, some of them got cloned and I'm just waiting for the clones and then I'll just flower them out. And then uh, some of them will get reversed. Like the Afghani bull rider will get reversed. This one will get reversed. And this sour cheese berry over here will get reversed. And then the other others, I'll, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do with them. I'll, I'll probably actually reverse this limerilla and I'll flower out this gorilla glue as well, too. And do a little reversal on that. Is that just the original, like Josie Wales GG4 original GG4? Yeah. This one right here. Yeah. That like and it. this runt right here. It kind of got uh, the chicken stepped on it. Whenever hey, shit out. happens. They can't all be winners. What was the one in the back right? The uh, other kind of, all of them, I, no, the other side, uh, back corner on the opposite side. Yeah, yeah. That's an Afghani bull rider. I just chopped it up. It's, it's, uh, it, it's not doing, it wasn't doing super great. It was in a cup in a bad way. And so it, it's kind of coming back, but uh, I have a better That's one, one of the originals as well from a long way. How many years old do you think that cut is? Well, that cut is not that old. That is from the original seed stock, though. But that okay. was just a couple of years ago. My buddy Marcus, he, he gave me a bunch of uh, seeds from his old library, uh, a bunch of old MK Ultra crosses, you know, a bunch of bull rider crosses, stuff like that. And Harold had given him some of the original Afghani bull rider seeds. So he had popped what he had and then he sent me a cut of what he picked out of there so it's very much like the other uh, ones but it leans more on the bull rider side but it's it's a funky grower it, it like it's not it wouldn't be ideal for like commercial cultivation but i'm still using it because it's got some interesting terpene it has an interesting terpene profile but yeah, I got everything kind of all set up. I got my little table over here and stuff and my little light controller. And I was building a uh, humidifier, uh, but my power source to this thing is messed up. So I'm going to have to get a new one. I saw that you had it hooked up to the uh, sensor and then it was just basically dumping a bunch of uh, mist into the air to get the humidity up until it hit the range and turns itself off. Yeah. So I just hook, I'll hook it up to that. I have my little tent where my clones are at, and I have a little I have a little version of this that's worked 
functional. It's got a little single mister with a float, a two gallon bucket. Remind the people of uh, what made the bull rider, Afghani bull rider, hot in its day. Why was it special, and uh, what made your, the crew run it? And uh, what, what was kind of the appeal? You said it's got an interesting terpene profile, but uh, was there anything more to that? The story, the name, etc. It was just there wasn't a lot of like variety back then, like there is today to choose from. So there was, you know, skunk. There was, you know, a lot of stuff was like Jack or you get some skunk or Romulan and, or OGs, but there wasn't so much. There wasn't like so much stuff to choose from. So it was just one of those things that people really loved. Uh, it fucking got you stoned as fuck. It was one of those types of weed that it's super pungent, bro. It's really, really pungent and it smells like weed. Like, it's like, oh, that's fucking weed. Like, that's distinctly weed. Like, what people think weed smells like, like, if you don't smoke weed, but someone was like, oh, you know, that doesn't smoke, was like, oh, that's what I think weed smells like. That's what it smelled like. It, so it has this kind of fruity, it's like uh, super, like, sweet, fruity, uh, pungent pine. It's got like fruit, like a fruity pebbles, but with like a really kind of skunky pine on it. Sounds fire. Yeah, it's cool. It's got a good, good smoke and stuff. Uh, I crossed it into Black Lime Reserve and I actually just popped some of those seeds. I got those in my little pen with my, I took three clones off of my uh, Limerilla Breeder Cut, the Afghani Bull Rider and the Sour Cheese Berry. And as soon as those root, I will, I'm going to switch those that are in the little three gallon pots. I'm going to put them in the little isolation tents inside and I'm going to reverse, uh, I'll reverse each one, one at a time. Starting off, project. Yeah. Starting off with the AB. Why that one first? This is one that people have been asking me the most about. There you go. Hey, if the people, uh, man of the people, people's champ, fucking give yeah. it to them. Yep. Might as well, right? Shit. I mean, you got it and people are asking for it. I'm sure you're probably yourself curious what it could produce. What are the things that are special about that, that you're looking forward to, you know, crossing it? Well, the Black Lime Reserve give better resistance because it is an Afghan variety and I'm usually running a little hotter humid temperatures in these indoor grows, especially under the LED lights. And most of the stuff that I want wants a, a little higher humidity. So Black Lab Reserve doesn't mind that. And we'll just see. I just wanted to see what would happen. I think it would be a good cross. So I just popped some. Wanted to check it out, see how it does. I wasn't able to get the uh, Afghani bull rider to take a lot of seeds. Um, so I only probably have about 50 seeds total and I like dude I pollinated it so hard too and it just it wouldn't take but just one of those things I guess it is what it is but I have enough seeds and if I get those to pop and they're all fucking good to go then uh, maybe I can find something cool in there and maybe I can do some F2s or <clears throat> we'll see I don't know Mac 1 is supposedly like that it's difficult it's to just... pollinate <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel you, Brandon, because I, Mac 1 is supposed to be the same way. So I took like literally like a shot glass full of pollen that I collected, not cut straight pollen. 
and I went fuck you <laughs> over the whole entire bud structure. So if I don't get seeds off of that, I, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm giving up on that one. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe too much pollen is. Uh, it's like a she's a classy lady. She doesn't want to get fucking pollen. Maybe yeah, maybe you know bukkake on her. She's fucking wanting just a little, you know, oh, gentle. She was, uh, romantic. she was covered for weeks, man. It took and it's outside and even the outside rain and everything didn't wash it all off until. It's crazy how much the resin sticks the pollen to the plant. People that don't make seeds, if they see a pollinated plant, would be like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, this is, is this a moldy or something? Well, the thing is, I had two plants outdoors, pretty decent size. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, I'm going to make a shitload of seeds. What up? You know, I was all stoked. And then it, I was like, and I didn't really care about taking care, like doing soup. Like I wasn't out there like tending to them every day, like being all like I would my indoor and shit. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so because I fucking pollinated them, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm just making seeds out here. And they didn't fucking make any seeds. It was just like, fuck. Dude, it's <laughs> like a pregnant lady. You got to take good care of them. That's when they, they produce the best. It's like you got to take the best care of them when they're pollinated. People think like, uh, oh, I, it's, I pollinated it. I'm not going to give a shit. But like, that's when you probably if you put that effort in, I bet you'd probably get at least, you know, a couple hundred, that if not a few thousand. Dude, I mean, they all they all did their thing. But if they again, they just didn't. They just didn't take. So, um, you know, the majority of everything that I use uh, or everything that I grow outside is used for uh, hash anyway, dude. You know, I'll go and make some uh, solventless RSO or some Fika or stuff like that with it. I want to go back to something you said earlier with the uh, Afghani bull rider, which is that you said it smells like weed, especially to something that somebody like doesn't use it. They'll be like, Oh, that's what weed smells like. Cause I have this neighbor who's 80 plus. She's awesome. She's like the social guru of the neighborhood. She has like parties at her little area and fucking is super fun and friendly, but we all fucking smoke here in you know California. And we've shown her hundreds of strains at this point that I've grown. My wife got from the commercial market. Buddies have grown locally all the shit she's from like the big sur area and even uh somebody got some big sur holy bud like fucking brought it thinking like oh she's from big sur this will be the one no fucking nothing we've given her from like sativa sativa like fucking piney pine to like gassy gas to like maybe like for the fucking old school skunky or like thai stuff or i don't know i really don't know what she's looking for because like smell is one of those difficult things to describe and she like many cannot put her finger on exactly what it is that she's trying to say but it's just so funny that like all of us use weed or smoke weed in her you know terminology but she'll say it doesn't smell like weed to her like because what she used or was used to back in her time smelled so different so i just think that's a very interesting phenomenon because it's like very clearly cannabis right we're talking about the same plant it's just maybe it's really not the same plant. Like over the decades, it's changed. We're all, like, if we look at the high times in the seventies, none of us are smoking anything that looks like that. Every time I think of things like that, though, I also think that um, I heard it described, and I, I wish I could remember who. Maybe it was Lester Greenspoon or somebody like that. But they said the genetic diversity, comparing the genetic diversity of cannabis, like the genetic possibilities, as compared to the genetic possibility of humans, is that they said that um, cannabis is more diverse even than humans. So as, as diverse as there are humans on this planet, there can be more diverse cannabis strains or cultivars. So, um, and when I think of it like that, then yeah, of course, of, of course that's possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
hundred percent. I mean, we've seen it with the explosion of like, there are literally thousands of breeders at this point and tens of thousands of strains. And I would say like, I've written a book, 50 strains of green that highlighted at least 50 different ones that I could go through and say like, this one smells like this. This has a certain type of effect, taste, feel to me. This is who bred it. This is what it looks like. And to have 50 unique what, like very specific things and that's just the tip of the iceberg those are the 50 my favorite 50 that were green and i'm doing 50 strands of purple now but there's thousands right i have so many to choose from i had so many that i've tried that i'm just like yeah this is okay it just doesn't make the cut you know it's it's decent i'm smoking on some stuff like that right now it's not gonna be in any book and it's fine it tastes decent it is an okay stone but it's not like life-changing or like oh my god this is unique or different or like special i like shit like that that like one out of ten things that you try it's like holy fuck what was that that changed my whole day like that brought me like a new perspective on things it made me feel man. something unique yeah we gotta find the unicorn that's why i always pop seeds man every time i harvest that I, I feel that way with like my home grows and it, it sounds arrogant but like fucking when you put all the effort in and you select breeders and strains that you like and fucking try and grow them the best you can you pretty often are gonna be satisfied with the end results and that's the the whole purpose of this you know is like to get more and more people doing this and that's why we keep on doing it you know we keep on showing up every week it's not for us we, we all know how to do it at this point uh we're getting better sharpening our sword you know as a man sharpens man iron sharpens iron or something like that we're all mentally uh growing and and I think taking questions is one of the best ways to learn uh, as you can educate like if you can make it if you truly understand something you can answer it simply and you can answer it in a way that the general public can understand. It doesn't need to be this like really, uh, and maybe there's stuff with like nuclear physics or something that's really uh, esoteric that none of us would be able to understand in like a simple, you know, even a couple hour podcast. But I think uh, we try our best to make it not overly complicated. And uh, I, so many people have reached out to us saying like, oh, I'm successfully doing this. And even shown like, come on, show in the garden. I probably should have opened up the panel. Maybe I will. Fuck it. I'll send the link out. Uh, That's what I, yeah, I love that too. Is I love when those two things. I love I love when we just inspired somebody for the first time to grow and they're successful the first time. And you can see that spark and you can, and it's like, I don't know, it's contagious. And so I mean, I live off that energy. And then um also is like when somebody comes to you with a problem that you can help them solve. I love that too. Uh, when they come back and they say, you know what, uh, I tried this and it worked. Thanks a lot. You know, it's like, yeah. Because if the thing is, is maybe if you couldn't help them, they wouldn't get help and then they'd get frustrated and wouldn't grow anymore. And that's, that's the opposite of what I want to happen. That's why I answer so many DMS freely fucking over and over. Like you could ask me a hundred questions and if I have the time, I will get to it within a 24 hour period. I might not answer right away. It's usually within like an hour or two, maybe three. I don't know if I'm like in the ocean swimming or something, I can't answer right away, obviously every time, but I try. Sometimes people are very urgent. They're like, oh, I have these pests. I'm like, maybe join Zenthanol's uh, Patreon of more $1 a month and you'll get into that message group and fucking he'll answer it. Fucking, I promise you. But uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of good resources out there and it's it does feel amazing to help somebody, even if it is like a link to a Zenthanol video or a link to a Dr. MJ article that I've sent to 50 other growers that it has helped 50 times. And I'm like, I know this is going to work because I've seen it work for myself. I've seen it work for a dozen growers and it's uh, empowering, I think, to build a community of people that can be successful. Like that's It's like the whole uh, mentorship in any type of business or industry to have the people that have been doing it. I learned from someone who allowed me to teach someone else. 
the each one teach one kind of mentality, I, I believe strongly in, you know, spreading that knowledge and the grower love and uh, support because oftentimes it is more than just information. And you're sometimes I hate to say it, teaching people like life lessons about how to manage emotion in a time where they need to be patient. It's difficult to understand that something you've never done before might be fine in a week. It looks like it's dying right now, but it might be okay. Turn the lights down, dial back the nutrients a little bit, take a breath, step away from the grow for a little bit. And a lot of the times it's going to be fine. And if, especially if you've never been to the you know, mountaintop of like getting your own harvest, you've invested now this time in light and money and, and nutrients and seeds and like to kill a seed, like I have it not germinate. Like there's so many little frustration, frustrations along the way. I can understand why people don't make it and struggle with it. And uh, it can be difficult. I've been there and so many others have and, and helping people with that stuff. It, it brings me back to when I was there, but it also brings me to when they get that first harvest and then they, you know, DM you, oh man, I'm smoking X, Y, or Z strain from that breeder that you recommended. And it's just like you fucking said, and it's hitting like every, you know, checkbox that I was hoping for. And it's like nothing I've ever had before. Cause like some of these people like coming from like a red state, like I knew what it was like <laughs> smoking on whatever you could get your hands on. It was just, you got some weed. Sure. I'll pay you fucking X amount of dollars for X amount of dumb, like ounces or eighths, whatever it was. And to have like, a bountiful harvest of even like an ounce plus it's like it's life-changing for a lot of people that are enthusiastic about it as a you know the plant generally so I'm, I'm very thankful that we're able to keep on doing this and i think i copied the link but i never sent it out so i'm going to go ahead and do it right now all right while you're doing that i'll read a question from chat uh, minnesota grows 420 is asking have you heard that dosing cbd can help with someone freaking it over an edible experience i'm assuming they're saying they they had too much they're too high on a THC edible, I'm assuming. Because CBD is not going to help you if you ate a mushroom edible. <laughs> Maybe it will. But uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, actually, we've been at uh, get-togethers where CBD isolate was available uh, to dab. So, um, and everybody brought, uh, it was a dinner party. And everybody brought uh, edible, something edible to eat. So everything was, <laughs> everything was infused. So we had CBD ice up for that very reason. My friends call that Thanksgiving. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's easy to yeah. overdo it on the Thanksgivings. If everything's infused, like often it is, or if like one thing was just a little so over the beta caryophyllene from black pepper is also, if you just smell it or eat it, can also help bring you down. So Minnesota grower or any others out there, that's one of the uh, counter effects. Pine nuts is also something eating generally. Uh, Ricky Williams and, and Seth, uh, Seth Rogen were on a podcast and they were talking about like, what if you get too high? What do you do? Ricky Williams said he eats like a half cup of sugar, which is kind sugar, of crazy, yeah. but it just makes his body process and like Terrible. go through shit quicker. So it gets out of his system. Uh, and Seth Rogen said a similar thing. He's like, I ate a meal. It like takes his mind off of it and like eating something gets your body to process something else. So I think uh, both good advice there. And I have seen CBD uh, it by stimulating the CB2 receptor is antagonistic of the CB1 receptor. So it is literally dampening the effects of the THC on your system and it will help. So it might take a little bit of time. It's important to let them know. Yeah, I didn't feel like it took it away. I didn't feel that. I felt like it, uh, it, um, 
it calmed down the edges. So instead of like, like smoothed story, it over, yeah, smoothed instead of like a soaring high, it was just a nice high. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard this before, and um, I've never like had a way to, you know, I never needed to, or had the ability to test it out myself. But I feel like um, it sort of makes sense in that way. It's like, for the example that Jack was saying. But still, yeah, like it's it's like it doesn't it's a little bit different. It's not going to be necessarily uh, like in other cases, we're trying to find something to do about that. Um, I definitely agree with the idea of like mentally, like for a lot of people, um, if you're able to do something like when I went to the Netherlands, um, I had an uh, interaction where over there, espresso, they just say coffee. Yeah, so I thought. I was like, wow, this coffee tastes really good. I'll have another. Are you sure? Yeah, I have coffee all the time. And it was Was it like it was a like, full had, size coffee cup full of espresso? I had like no, it wasn't. Oh, well, it was like half. Yeah, it was they're smaller cups though. So Jack, I was I was taken advantage of because of my cultural differences. No. <laughs> but uh, it was like I had like 300 mgs of caffeine, dude. I had like 300 mgs of caffeine. Espresso and is I like a different like I type. I could like see sounds and hear colors and I, God was talking to me from on high. You know how like we were like, talking <laughs> earlier about how like there's an entourage. Specifically effect, like, Zeus. Like the flower gets you more high than like somebody hitting a distillate pen. I feel like that's same with like coffee. Like I could drink an energy drink and I won't get like as fucking zoomy. The milligrams could be way higher than I would be off of like a fucking espresso fucking cup it just fucking hits different maybe there's some other shit in the coffee that it's more of a full spectrum fucking buzz but well and some coffee is like you've got less of the um i don't know if it was uh colon uh cholinergic acid i believe it is and there's other compounds too that depending on how you pair it um and also how the product is prepared uh you know it might not first of all it might be more flavorful but also it might be kind of um uh, you know, less, like you say, jittery. I know tea is L-theanine, for example, and that's often implicated in, in that in sort of a calming but a, a alerting effect, kind of both at the same time. I'm like the, my cannabis tolerance is like on the higher end of the spectrum. My fucking caffeine tolerance is on the literal lowest end. I've had less than five cups of coffee my entire life. And oh, I'll have like maybe uh, a five-hour energy, like, I don't know, once every four months or something if i'm feeling like i need a little boost i know those are fucking a little gross but that's like the extent of my caffeine use but if i have a cup of coffee like i'll be up all night long like 10 15 hours like just wired like it's a crazy (laughs) meanwhile here's here's the disparity right um i could drink i could probably drink an espresso late at night just one shot right and if I needed to, like, you know, have a boost and need to, like, get something done, um, if I get tired after that, like, my body's like, you're, you're, you need to sleep. You're going to sleep. Like, generally speaking, it won't keep me up. Sometimes I've had that happen, and mostly when I was younger. And I don't drink, like, a ton of coffee. I do drink a lot of tea, though. But, um, but comparatively, a lot less caffeine, I feel like. But, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm... And energy drinks too, it's the same way. Like I I uh I can it'll it'll on the one hand, it won't go forever, like it might do for some people, but on the other hand, uh I feel like it truncates really quickly. So I guess I have a tolerance. <laughs> it's weird. It's just like 
to quote the kids these days, it hits different, like a energy drink versus like a, when I was in Italy, it was one of the very few times that I drank uh, caffeine regularly. I was having like one espresso in the morning while I was backpacking and walking fucking several miles a day. So I used the energy <laughs> and it felt nice to like have that buzz and be able to, and I would use it most of the time throughout my day here as I'm pretty fucking active generally. But uh, I don't know. It's like smoking a sativa at night for me. I've learned at a certain time, like a true sativa, I can't smoke past like, I don't know, four or 5 p.m. Otherwise, my fucking thoughts just get racy and I'm not going to be calm like I would like to be going into the evening hours. So it, it made me learn because like where I'm from, I had a friend who he would say like, all we do is fucking smoke, eat and fall asleep. And he felt like all the weed was the same. And to some extent it was it was like really aged like beasters from fucking canada and like mostly thc immersing downing type effects and uh so we would get high and fucking giggle and fucking watch them sit and our tolerances were low and so we'd fucking smoke eat and fall asleep but when i moved out here and like the medical market in california existed i got my fucking medical card and i was able to go into a shop and pick one of fucking x amount of 50 to 100 strains and they actually had vastly different flavors and effects and it uh opens opens our eyes like spartan just mentioned earlier cannabis is as diverse or more diverse than humans and there's what eight billion people or more so just thinking that like i was talking about thousands of strains and they, they make like hundreds more each year like each breeder can make one breeder alone can make a hundred plus strains a year like look at a guy like Northstar who breeds his male into like all of his females and i really i'm not criticizing this stuff it they are prolific they make a ton of stuff they put a ton of stuff out there and a lot of it's fucking fire like aaron the grower is growing his uh deviant it looks amazing i can't wait to try it and a bunch of people grow his stuff and really love it he works with a lot of he made <laughs> literally made a lot of the stuff so cool sold so shout out to north star i fucking joel is awesome he was just on fucking talking shit with eagle go check it out he's an amazing person breeder and individual in my opinion but uh they he alone has made probably a few hundred strains and like that's just one breeder so like when there's hundreds or thousands of people each one of those strains like a lot of them might be related to that same male or like in the same family lines and things like that so there, there'll be similarities like the kardashians you got kim chloe courtney whatever but they're all the same mother and father but all the offspring have little different you know phenotype expressions and things like that for people to look through and like those seed you know uh that i i'm fucking like one of those i'm a seed junkie myself i I'm addicted to scrolling through seed banks <laughs> thinking about buying seeds that I probably don't need. Uh, I need to pop the ones that I currently have. Like I have a bunch from Brandon uh, Rust that I haven't popped yet. So I'm going to be popping those soon. Uh, I'm growing some of Spartan Groans right now. I've grown some Taos and I'm slowly working through all the uh, stuff that my friends have given to me and all the seeds that I've purchased over the years. And it's uh, still tempting to see like, well, I like that strain and I like that strain. Like what would they be like together? What would it be like in my garden, you know? Uh, so it can be very uh, tempting to uh, get many, many, many seeds, especially if you come into a situation where you've got like a trichome forage, where you're just going to start hunting huge batches of fucking awesome shit that you've either made or purchased to hunt through. So I'm a curious Spartan. I see that the Spartan puke uh, looks like that hunt has begun over there. How are things going to the trichome forage? They're doing good, man. The um, triple burger, we got a little bit of it processed just to see how we 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 do with the flavor and everything it was we just took some of the stuff that we 
knew we didn't want to keep. They weren't keepers. So we're like, all right, let's just process this and see how it does. And we got a good return back from Fagroli, and uh, we're happy with it. So uh, we're going to probably get a, pretty much all of it turned into concentrate. And then, uh, except, and then uh, the only ones that won't be like mixed together is a couple of our keepers. We might do single source runs of. Um, but we today, we just, just today, we went and moved the Spartan puke. So we had 20 female. And so we moved all 20 into the flower room today. So we have two four by eight tables in the flower room under four lights. So we did, because we were arguing, it's funny, me and Baked were arguing whether to set it up five. I said, just that's, that's cool. That's five plants per light. Just put them up like, just like, like when you roll dice, you know, you get a five, just put them just like that. And he's like, no, man, it's two rows of five per table, you know, just a row of five and a row of five. And I kind of thought, well, that, that just makes sense too. But I don't know. I kind of like the way that the, the, the five with the two in the corner, you know, like a dice. And uh, so what we did was on one table, we did it my way. And on one table, we did it his way. So, <laughs> so, so we'll see, we'll see which way's better, but uh I the Tricorm fo Forge Showdown already yeah. happening. I love the side-by-side -side <laughs> brotherly competition happening yeah. over there. Yeah. And then we threw a, we threw the first trellis net down and smushed them down underneath it today. Um, but yeah, today's the first day. Well, tomorrow will be the first day of, of flower. Exciting. What, what side do you think is going to express more? Do you think it's going to be more the uh, burger or more the uh, vortex? I think the terp wise is burger side because I was getting a lot of the different ones in there of the males. I only kept one. There's 11 males. I kept one because it smelled straight like onions to me. And uh, I was like, yep, I'm holding on to that one. Cause that's a unique one. So uh, we'll keep that one going. If I can find an oniony female, maybe we'll smack them together. I think people love that. The uh, GMO. That's like one of the things people like the oniony funky that's that's one of the things I personally am attracted to about GMO and more so actually the Donnie Burger. I think it fueled with that gas from the Larry OG F8 and then smacked back to the GMO again. There's just like a lot of potency, a lot of raw funkiness going on. And you can just like pick your level of like how funky do you want it? Do you want it almost like dumpstery, like dead body funky, like really <laughs> nasty fucking they have some phenos out there that are really funky, funk, funk. And then there's like the more like OG leaner, like it's going to be gassy with like touches of like little bits of like that garlicky GMO oniony, you know, almost body odor scent underneath it. Uh, but it, it's got a lot going on. And I know when I say that out loud, like a lot of people are like, oh, that's disgusting. Who would like that? Especially if you haven't smoked a lot of the GMO related stuff or the chem, I think it's chem D in that one. I can't remember if it's chem D or chem four. I was crossed to the cookie, but yeah, it's a uh, very funky and I, I like the potency associated with it. I'm like, uh, that's know, me. you know, that's spoonful me. of like, medicine, or spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I'll fucking just take it with like, I don't know, something that tastes better. Like later, you know, I'll take a dab of something if I want something tasty. But if I'm trying <laughs> to just get a nice, good stoniness, like I want some fucking, give me some burger or something like that. Yeah, man. Dining burger always, the potency always pushes through everything. So I didn't really much care that the flavor wasn't always the greatest in fact i mean it had a strong flavor it's just not a pleasant flavor a lot of people like that i'm not a huge fan of that myself but uh, i can't deny the the potency of it i love the high yeah it's not my favorite flavor either but it is one of my favorite highs for sure it's just like raw power and like yep. I, I don't hate the funk 
I do like the funk. It's not just like, I think I also like the fruity. I think it's going to be a potential to have scary highs because Vortex is one people describe sub himself. Like it was like no ceiling. Like this is a fun. We keep yeah. smoking it. You keep getting fucking higher. So like, be careful. <laughs> and like people will get panic attacks. People will call the ambulance on themselves and shit like that. So that mixed with like the opposite end of like the almost like blunt force, you know, bat to the dome of like a Donnie burger that just like thumps you. You're like, holy numbing, fuck. Yeah. I love that. It's just like, it's, you know, that you've smoked Donnie burger. Like there's no denying it. Like I, I'm fucking stoned. Like that's a great feeling to have for sure. It's a, I don't know. I, I love all the burgers that I've tried. So I just, yeah. uh, and Vortex has Vortex also has that besides the fruity mango side, it's got that baby diaper side. So that mixed with Donnie is just like, some of the smells coming out of the, I mean, they were just coming out of veg today and there's still some of the smells coming off some of those plants. I was like, wow, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Like I was saying, my one project V F2, the, uh, it, it's got some baby fart to it. It's not quite like, you know, baby diaper yet, but it's got mango. Like the first it was just mango. And now I'm getting like the, I don't know anybody who has kids fucking, they eat like baby food and like the fart from across the room. Sometimes it's a little funky. I don't know. Funky baby mango food. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. That's what that one plant smells like. And I think that it's going to turn into something crazy potent. Hopefully we'll see though. It's uh, it's vegging along. I'm very happy with the ones that I've selected. I showed Spartan my rejected females club that I'm gifting to all my neighbors and, and friends to grow out. Cause I had like eight out of 11 were female. So that was pretty good ratio, but I only have really space for like the two best. And so I, I picked my two favorites and uh, they're vegging, vegging strong. So Definitely looking forward to uh, getting those in the flower as soon as I can. I can't wait to you. Uh, it's nice that you do that. That's super nice that you give them away, man, because yeah, I'm uh, I just kill stuff. I used to, I, I would, uh, I do feed some, I have a couple males over here. My cat Sanka, since he's been a kitten, he is always, every time I come to any of my gardens like runs right up to me and like wants to be in the garden with me he doesn't like fuck with it he just kind of wants to look and see what i'm doing and like sniff and i will occasionally like feed him a leaf here and there and the vet was like oh it's good for you know preventing fur balls and it's good healthy fiber so i'm like oh cool fucking all for it so he's got a few little uh, plants over here in uh my just you know sunlight fueled garden out in the living room that the males that I'm not obviously going to, I didn't select to be breeding with them. I'm just growing out for females this run. So uh, he's getting to eat the males and the undesirable female. Like I had one that was really just too leggy. It wasn't wanting to support itself. And it's funny, like right when I was ready to like, you know, call it and like, just call it quits on it that day. It like decided like, I don't need my fucking steak anymore. I'm strong <laughs> enough. I could fucking do, I swear. It's like, they have a fucking mind of their own. So like, as soon as you say, I'm going to kill you, that's when they start shaping up. They're like, oh, I know I'm going to get fucking uh, axed, so <laughs> I need to start growing better. <laughs> but Spartan, it's about that time, actually, where uh, we normally let you uh, get prepped for the Michigan Bros Grow Show and uh, do all that good stuff. So any final thoughts and shout outs before you get going? Um, actually, I wasn't even prepared. Like the time. Holy shit. Um, shout out. I didn't even talk about, but maybe next time, um, shout out to everybody that uh, made it out to the Capitol and, uh, for the harvest rally for Michigan Weasters. It was an awesome event. Good time there. Uh, long story short, one of the cool things that came out of there was Jane's law got writ actually read in Congress. And then the lawmakers came out and did a speech afterwards talking about it. 
so that was a huge victory for us been working on that for many years so that uh just a lot would allow if it passes would allow uh kids kids who have cards to be able to use their medicine on school grounds rather than having to go a thousand feet from it like they do now in Michigan so that was cool um so shout out to everybody that was involved there shout out to chat chat was I think we're, I don't know what's going on guys, but I think chat's been uh, getting bigger and bigger every, every week. So I don't know if they're, they're dropping the, uh, the suppression or what, but we're starting to get popular or something. So shout out to chat, man. We appreciate every one of you guys. Other than that, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, it's Grown signing off. You can see me on the Michigan Girls Grow Show here in about 15 minutes. Otherwise much love and keep growing everybody. Peace out Spartan. Grows love. Always great having you, Spartan. And uh, weirdly enough, even though we got like a warning for a strike on the channel for some weird policy violation that we didn't actually violate, but you know, whatever uh, they said that we did, um, we've been showing up in like searches and like related stuff. Like it tells me like how Sweet. it used to be like 99% like links or like people directly typed in the whole name of the show. But now it's like related, like we're getting recommended and people are like coming in just like random, you know. Wow. It's good to have you new people. So welcome if you, if you are one of those folks. Peace out, Spartan. Thank you. But yeah, it's uh, a lot of new faces, a lot of familiar faces. I, I do, I will say it's a lot more familiar faces. A lot of you guys show up consistently every week, and I, I really appreciate that. That's uh, it's, It becomes a community that way, and we get to recognize you. And when we have stuff like this, uh, if you do want to come on and show off your girl, I know it was a little bit late this week, and I didn't announce it. I normally will put like a uh, open panel or something like that so people can prepare their self or pre prepare the grow be in the right place they need to be but uh i dropped it kind of last minute i didn't have any topic on hand this week i just kind of went in and uh, freeballed it next week we will be covering the article matthew discussed i believe it's about uh, cbd uptake in different oils so i might also uh, see if we have other uh science i know matthew you mentioned some ipm related science that we might talk about as well uh if there is time for it and if you have science that you find interesting about cannabis that's you know semi-modern within the last year or two that uh, you'd like us to discuss on the show you could send a link to myself uh, at jack greenstock and just uh, throwing that out there because i do really enjoy those shows and it's been a little while since we've done one and matthew has uh, already mentioned that he does have that one article for sure which we, we will be covering next week so I'm looking forward to that and potentially uh, any other science people, if we don't cover it next week, we can cover it again in the future. So if you're interested or see something that comes up in your feed, or if you are even specifically looking, I know Brandon is out there sometimes just like Googling up stuff and reading interesting articles and, and modern science and cannabis and even other agriculture and things like that. So it's uh, always a fun time to bring some of that literature literature to the table for the people out there that are interested in the, the white papers and the deeper sciences side of things. I know it wasn't a super specific grow talk tonight all the time, but I think sometimes we uh, talk about the related industry of it all. And, uh, you know, a lot of us are more and more. I see people even within our community that are working in the cannabis industry uh, from the trimmer all the way up to the master grower. Um, we've had people that, you know, came on with licenses and said, hey, we're going to, I'm going to be the head of the grow at XYZ facility. And we have this much space and these many hundreds or thousands of plants. So it's like, it's awesome to see. That's not like a one-time occasion. Like, I, I can think of a handful of people now that are not just on the panel, but like our listeners out there that are doing this 
a bigger scale. And even the home grower out there with one plant, I think that's fucking awesome. I think anybody who's doing it, growing cannabis, like you're fucking, that, that's one of the uh, most powerful things you can do and continue to keep doing it the best you can at whatever scale. I'm fucking a small, small, small closet grow still, but I fucking have a lot of fun with it and it provides me and my family medicine and we can gift and, you know, enjoy stuff with friends and family in the community. So it's one of those things that very few things in life are quite that rewarding. So definitely keep on growing. And uh, we've got about 12 minutes left. I'm curious if uh, Tao has any thoughts that he'd want to get into before we start wrapping it up. Uh, I had something I slipped my mind. Um, no, not in particular, but I, I'll think of something quick. Hold on. <laughs> I put you on the spot. So we'll talk about, uh, I don't know, Tao, what do you think about, uh, transplanting was the, the topic that I was thinking about potentially doing. And we could do like a 10 minute last few minutes, uh, tips, tricks, or advice on transplants. You know, there's a, yeah. For right now, you want to talk about it? Yeah, just bang it out. This is a lightning round. Right, I feel like well, it's not enough for a whole episode. I thought yeah, about it. I'm I like, it, that, everyone's uh, going to be like, I fucking throw mycorrhizal fungi in there and drop it in. I think there's a lot of people get uh, like a little crazy during the transplant. There's people I've watched. You might have seen him, uh, The World's Last Hope, uh, on one of Eagle's episodes, shows what he does. He takes his roots all the way down, like swazing, except underneath. So, and I've seen other that, that um, may rest in peace that Sheriff uh, Derek, but, but Derek, whatever, but he was another guy that was, um, you know, sharing information on the internet about cultivating cannabis. And he also was a preacher of the pruning of the roots where you, you pull it up, cut it, cut like, you know, a good inch all the way around the entire root ball with a scissors or a knife and then transplant it. And I've done that too. And yeah, the plant is pretty damn re resilient. Um, that being said, though, there are cases like where, especially if it's like heavily root bound or something, or if it's, yeah, there's a situation where you do want to be gentle for sure. So I think, um, yeah, do it, do you, whatever you're into, you could do and, and uh, just watch how the plant reacts. And if the plant's happy, happy in a day when you're after transplanting, you probably did all right. Yeah, I say try not to kill them. Yeah, <laughs> like some, some methods uh, are going to be a little faster. I would say mangle one of them and fucking baby the other one. Like, uh, I think Alex Hardy is another guy who goes pretty hard on his roots in the transplant and shows that like he plants a bunch in like these little cells. You know, like uh, how you would see plants sold at a you know the store when you get vegetable starts and shit like that. They come in these little plastic starter cubes that are maybe like you know quarter size around. You get a bunch of plants all started in them. And the roots end up getting, you know, root bound. So what you do is you score the roots and they, it's common practice in, in agriculture to slice off some of the roots and many different plants. So it's because they're a little bit root bound or overgrown and they should, probably shouldn't have been in those trays for as long as they were. Like it, it's more uh, like we were talking about at the top of the show, like when shit gets commercialized and uh, they have to ship apples from a long time or tomatoes from a far distance. They start picking them when they're green, pump a truck full of ethylene. And by the time they're on the store shelf, then they're red and they can last a little longer and they'll fucking cover them in shellac and shit. So it's a uh, crazy, the things that the commercial industries make allowable that on the home scale, you'd almost never see put into practice. So yeah, just always a reminder going back to those, like the benefits of 
small scale or some supporting local small farmers and things like that if and when you can but uh, do you have any more thoughts Tao, about the uh, whole transplanting tips tricks or advice yeah i would say definitely do not have your plants roots all soggy when you go to transplant like you were saying you let them dry out a bit yeah that's uh that's one thing that i've learned both and you don't want it too dry either because you'll go turn it over and it'll just break in half i've had that happen as well so yeah there is a, a fine line i guess where you want to be happy where it's not you just didn't just water it and it's heavy like crazy and it's not stupid dry um and yeah there's other uh you know there's there's different philosophies on on watering in afterwards some people like like watering it heavy some people are like, no, you just want to make sure it's wet, to, you know, to the bottom so that it's, it, it encourages the root growth. So I think like, yeah, nice equilibrium during the whole process is probably best. The medium kind of wetness. And yeah, that's about it, though, as far as I would say. All good advice. And then just under two minutes. I mean, you crushed it. Uh, Brandon, any tips, tricks or advice when transplanting? I usually like to do a light fertilization at transplant so that way the they have enough food and they don't get too stressed out. Uh, so I try to be as gentle as I can when I'm doing it, but you know, offering them a little bit of phosphorus night and nitrogen fertilizer definitely help with the expedite ex expediting that that process where the roots start getting out of their original media into the new media the benefit from the nutrient in soil it's interesting because i just did that with the selected plants that got transplanted up and they're under a grow light still and, and getting you know I, I choose to water uh you know the medium that i transplant into to from the bottom uh, i give a little bit from the top on the transplant and then i bottom water in a tray and allow it to absorb but um i can see those plants the size of them and the color and the plant structure it's already significantly further along in just like less than a week from transplant just a few days um they've taken off they're very happy in the new shoes even the one that lost like the bottom 10 percent. i almost hit that sweet spot where like both of them popped out perfect and dropped right into the hole i have had it where i lost 50 percent or more of the root ball and then like that one didn't take off as quickly as the rest when it was like 50 percent or more or if you just really felt like the whole thing fell apart because it was too wet and too soppy and or just completely bone dry and it just like falls apart into dust. And then you've got like, you're holding basically <laughs> a little plant with like some scraggly roots and you just kind of try and throw it into the new pot and smush it all together and hope. And even then it still lives sometimes, but it's not like that's going to be the one that's taken off and thriving earliest, but um, it can survive that. So I do love the... Uh, basic ass rooting powder you can get from like home depot or wherever uh mycorrhizal fungi i think is effective as well um i also use uh spartan grown gave me this piece of advice a long time ago um insect frass on transplant and this is something i've kind of always done and it seems to uh i, I don't know exactly what the benefit is I, I know there's multiple potentially i think matthew could speak to that but i think there's something with like a chitin or, or something like that but there, there's also there, more to it also like a, like a two and a half, two, two or something like that for MPK. Got a little MPK in there. Yeah. So, I mean, and I also give like um, build a soils craft blend, some gypsum, 
earthworm castings, uh, Bokashi Earthworks, Bokashi, and uh, some Micro Plus, Amino N Plus, and a whole, like, I give them a cocktail. I get a fucking full buffet, essentially. I feel like what the proper dose is, just like maybe 5% more or like 2% more, ideally, you know, like just so they have everything there and give them microbes every so often so that they can try to access it. But it's yeah. been seeming to work out without, I haven't admittedly tested my soil in three plus years now and I'm still getting to harvest and satisfied with the way that the plants are growing. So shout out to uh, bottom watering and the SIP system. It's uh, made my life a lot easier, basically water only and uh, let the plants do what they do. But with that said, um, Matthew, do you have any thoughts on tips, tricks, or advice for transplanting before we wrap it up? Yeah, um, I would say that, especially since this is the Cheap Home Grow podcast, uh, you know, it's something I've said before, I'll say it again, that if you have the ability to quarantine any way, but in a different room, when you're getting clones or things like this, cuttings, um, or if you have multiple grows going on, you decide to start another one, like, I would make the effort, you know, to like separate them at first, just to make sure that uh, maybe something gets into your older crop that you didn't notice, and then it gets into your seedlings and they die prematurely. That would kind of suck. Um, and it's something that's in some ways it can be easier to do than like in a commercial scale thing. So it's kind of an advantage that you might have available to you, depending on what, you know, your backyard, if you have one, or other rooms are available for you. Yeah, I would say that. So sort of a more a general advice, but I'm always going to talk about it. I'm going to go to Maryland uh, this week, and it's probably going to be something I'm going to talk about too. So, yeah, it's on my mind. Very cool. Well, with that, why don't you uh, start us off with our final thoughts and shout outs so that people know where they can find you on all the social medias and what other events you might have coming up. Yeah, so uh, for those who are curious about the Pestapalooza, that's been... Um, uh, push back a little bit, uh, but that will be coming online sometime in the next few months. So that'll be like a monthly thing. We have, uh, we're going to be going to Florida at some point and um, probably Colorado at some point. And like I said earlier, uh, Canada uh, at some point as well. So so check it out, growcast.com slash Pestapalooza for more information. Then also you can check me out, my AFID video that I'm finally getting done. It took a long time on it, uh, so I hope people enjoy it. But uh, that'll be on Zenthanol YouTube channel. And I've also got a few other uh, research reports that came out uh, about cannabis in particular. One of them is about uh, budworm moths and uh, some information on how different uh, types of hemp were less or more vulnerable to budworm damage based on when they uh, flowered which was interesting. And also the bud structure as well played a part. So that's interesting. So you can check out a video update on that. And also for bacterial leaf spot, which is a huge problem for a lot of people. And uh, maybe a hoverfly video too, if, uh, if I would get to it. So, all right. Usually when something takes longer, you know, sometimes it gives you the research opportunity, something else pops up that you can add into the video if there's any new information or- I definitely did that. The time to essentially go as deep and thorough as you would like to and, and take it uh, to the fullest extent and make the best product that you feel like the people would most benefit from. So instead of just rushing something out, me and others appreciate that you take time to really put in the hard work and, and go through all that research. So Matthew, thank you very much.
Thank you. Next, I appreciate it. Next up, we've got Brandon Rust. What's going on? Uh, good to be here. And I will see you guys next week. In the meantime, anybody who's listening, you guys can go check out Okashi Earthworks. And we have microbes, amendments, and cumate fertilizer. And we're going to be releasing the Nutri Cup in a couple of months. And uh, you can check me out on Instagram. And I'll see you guys all soon. The chat is fired up about future cannabis projects. Wednesdays lunch with Brandon's the lunchtime show. It says, uh, "Remember to my, re- remind people of Lunchies Munchies Canna Talk with Brandon Rust on Wednesdays." So make sure to check that out. Yes, future cannabis project. Every Good stuff Wednesday at eleven a.m. Uh, on the West Coast and three p.m. on great stuff and last and certainly not least of our panelists this evening is the american one jack as always thanks for your impeccable hosting abilities and talents and shout out to everyone in chat sorry i wasn't more active i've been multitasking as i often do i'm sorry um but yes i love you all and uh i am the american one on the youtube and the american one underscore with underscore keens on the ig and yeah, you could hit me up over there if you have any questions or comments or want to just yell at me for something. And uh, yeah, you could just go amyaces.com. I think we'll take you to Dagger still and you can get some amyaces if you want. And yeah, hit me up for anything else. And uh, yeah, have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you next week. We love yous too. And uh, if you're in PA, <laughs> then uh, you got to be like crispy now and start saying we love yins. Yins. Okay, I have to. I'm gonna. That's I'm the, slowly turning into Pennsylvania. the new PA much, thing. Getting soft. Smart and crispy got me onto that one. That was new to me. Yeah. I'm from Ohio, and I'd never heard the yins before. The so yins, okay. We break out y'all. We have a, and I'm even in northern Ohio, but uh, fucking we adopt the uh, southernness. But much love to everyone who listens and uh, joined us this evening. Really appreciate the questions from the chat and the panel and the time from everybody you can find me at jack greenstock on instagram uh don't really post there anymore jack underscore greenstock is my x account and uh, that's where i'm doing most of my posting on social media if i do any posting other than here once a week uh i really enjoy this This is a fun time for me every week even when i have nothing on the mind going in we can always find a way to fill two hours and and make it a really fun enjoyable time especially uh, with this panel and the amazing chat we really have uh, got a great crew so i feel very fortunate to be here each week and uh, just look forward to seeing everyone next week. So look forward to some science. We'll catch you all next Sunday. Peace and love everybody.